You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Well, the freaking God! Welcome back to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We're going to kick off uh, this episode this week with our uh, what we what is usually the CHL Insider segment. Today, the CJHL Insider segment, brought to you by the store next door out in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, employing people with disabilities, turning your broken hockey sticks into some really cool products. I recommend you check out the store next door. Dot .ca and my guest today is the commissioner of the CCHL and uh, also the uh, chairman of the CJHL his name is Kevin Abrams Kevin welcome to the pipeline show how are you today I'm well thank you Well I appreciate you making the time here in the off season to, to speak with us and uh what I wanted to do is is pick your brain a little bit about your league and and your role for both the CCHL and the CJHL and uh, for my audience that's across North America there might be some who aren't as familiar uh, with uh, Junior A in Canada. So maybe uh, give me the basics about about your league and, and uh, the 12 teams in and, and sort of the background of uh, where you're coming from. Sure. Our league, uh, uh, the Central Canada Hockey League, previously was the Central Junior Hockey League, uh, was founded uh, back in 1961, which makes us you know, the longest-running league among the 10 in Canada. Um, it was founded back in 61 by the Montreal Canadiens and Sam Pollock, who uh, was looking for a place to house the non-Quebec prospects that they had for the Canadians up until uh, that time and, and then continued that until 1969 when the first uh, NHL draft came as well. But, but as a result of the history and the, the long tenure as a league, you know, some of our, our franchises are relatively well-known. Um, you know, places like the Pembroke Lumber Kings, the Brockville Braves, the Hawksbury Hawks, uh, Smith Falls Bears um, were original franchises back in 61. Uh, we've since added more, and, and we've uh, been at 12 teams now for a little over a decade. Um, and uh, that seems to be the number that fits us well. We, uh, we're located in eastern Ontario. We're right along the Quebec border, uh, the U.S. border. So we have a very small geographical footprint in terms of the distance between teams, which is Actually, one of the positives in our league in terms of travel, there's not much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we have, we have a, a history of player development, and I think that started back in 61, and it's continued today with, uh, you know, straight through with various incarnations of that. But primarily, we send players on to um, the NCAA and the, and the Canadian Hockey League, and ultimately a lot of them end up playing professionally in the National Hockey League. So we've had a, some, some fairly illustrious alumni and that, but we're also proud of the fact that we're an important setting stone for players that are looking to move on to, to bigger and better things. You, you mentioned the small footprint, and that, that's really unique. I mean, you have some of the leagues in the in the CJHL are entire provinces, and obviously that is different in the in Ontario. It, it, um, you mentioned the it's a cost saver, obviously, it's not nearly as expensive to, to travel within your league as uh, some of the others. Are there any disadvantages to, to being that small, to having that small of a footprint? Well, I, I don't think there are. I think if you look at, you know, the player experience, you know, there's no school days missed at all. There's no overnight trips. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's perhaps a thought that it's it's good times, you know, to the team building on buses. But we, you know, we have a little bit of that, you know, from Hawkesbury at the east to Pembroke in the west. It's a little over three hours. So the average road trip in our league is less than an hour long. Wow. Um, so, so there's really, I mean, there, there are cases where two or three times a year the guys are on the bus for a couple of hours, but uh, you know that that's that's a rarity. And I think uh, what we try to make sure people understand is that you know it allows us to play a, a fuller schedule of games. We play 62 
and uh, certainly allows lots of practice time and, and you know, being home in your own bed every night uh, makes uh, makes your performance academically pretty strong too. So we think there's there's far more benefits than than, than sort of short shortcomings or, or drawbacks. That's for sure. Uh, I know in the BCHL and the AJHL, there's a, a lot of players from outside of those provinces. Uh, the the players that come and play in the CCHL are they mostly from that area, or do you get a lot of uh, players from across Canada and and even in the states as well? Um, about like our, our branch, our region, uh, is the same size in terms of player registrations as the province of Saskatchewan. So I'd say about 50% of the players are from our region or our branch. Okay. Uh, about 80 to 85% are from the province of Ontario. And then we have, you know, some natural, uh, alignment with kids from Quebec and, and from upstate, uh, yeah, in the USA. You know, those are, those would be the, the the, you know, so the next the next areas of, of player recruitment, but Ontario is certainly the primary focus. I, I would say three of, you know, probably three out of every four players uh, on most rosters comes from Ontario. Kevin Abrams is the uh, commissioner of the CCHL. My guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, how long have you been commissioner now? What was it, two thousand six, something like that? Yeah, I'm going into year fourteen, which uh, makes me number two in the elder statesman category. So that's, <laughs> that's uh. It's, I, I guess it's, it's good. I mean, I, I see lots of good, good young minds coming into this, these positions across Canada, and, uh, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting to be part of it. It's, it's sometimes you view this someone with enough experience to have some, some counsel or insight is kind of is kind of flattering. But uh, I've enjoyed the whole thing. How has the league changed since uh, since you took over the mantle? Well, we, uh, I think the fundamental things have changed. You know, we had ten teams, um, very stable in terms of. Um, uh, the number of teams and, and, you know, we don't have a lot of franchise movement. Uh, um, so, you know, really there's only been one relocation since I, since I arrived and I was, uh, a planned relocation to return a team to Rockland. That's uh, an original member of, of the league. So there's a team in Rockland again. And then we expanded, um, uh, 13 years ago and then 11 years ago to Kempville and Carlton Place and added two new teams. And, and we really had targeted 12 teams and we wanted there to be uh, teams in certain locations. And one of the first things I did when I started was, was set a bit of a, an action plan on how that might, might look in the next five to 10 years. And so we were able to achieve that. So that was a, a you know, a change in terms of league composition. Um, I think some of the regulations that we deal with, um, have made our league a little bit, uh, more NCAA focused than it used to be. Hmm. So we certainly sent a lot more players to the NCAA than we, than we had prior to that. Um, again, because we don't have the availability of younger roster players than we used to, um, just based on the, on the rule changes that we've had. So that's, that's the simple one. And then we've, in the last five to seven years, um, some of our teams, uh, well, not all of our, all of our teams have had to define ways to supplement some of the rising expenses. So, there is a fee to play in our league. It's, it's a, a nominal amount based on the operating budget of the teams, but, but there's a fee to play and we return, uh, uh, guarantee a lot of deliverables and have a really specific set of guidelines in terms of what, uh, what fees cover and, and, uh, make sure that everything is, is completely clear as far as, uh, what the fees are, what they, what they are paying for and, uh, make sure the customer, in this case, the player and the parent are, are well aware of what the, uh, what the lay of the land is in terms of cost. 
A couple of Twitter questions that have come in that uh, kind of uh, touch on subjects you just uh, mentioned as well. Eric uh, wants to know about revisiting the exceptional status uh, rule for 15-year-olds. Says many great players played as 15-year-olds uh, in the uh, Canadian Junior Hockey League. Is that every, anything that's ever been discussed? Well, if ten leagues, the whole be ten to nothing in favor of that. I can assure you, um, it's not allowed. It's it's a, a regulation that we. We deal with many regulations in our game, and one of them is that 15-year-old players can only apply for exceptional status if they uh, if they want to play in the Canadian Hockey League. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we we don't have access to that player based on the regulations, and, and uh, so you know there are many cases where you know in most in, in most years there are players, you know, I would say, virtually every league that would qualify as exceptional to the point where they could play to the junior A level. We probably had four. Uh, in our backyard this year that were all first round engineer picks that easily could have played, uh, in our league and been regular players and been good contributors. Uh, and they all played as affiliates this year. Um, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we long for those days and I think, uh, maybe that's something that will happen in the future. But that's more of a Hockey Canada thing? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, Tyler King, who's the voice of the Brooks Bandits, uh, has uh, submitted a question. He wants to know about uh, possible expansion to uh, Kingston. He says he's still mourning the loss of his beloved V's. Well, as Tyler knows, I'm a Kingston native uh, and former coach of the Kingston Warriors back in the late 80s, early 90s. So uh challenging situation there for some bad day for folks in Kingston. Uh, um, that, that team... Uh, Certainly was an important one in my in my career as, as well as Tyler's, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly what, uh, what what the plans uh, are with the OJHL. Um, they're not in our geographical footprint when, when it comes to the branch divisions, so that's not something that uh, is an option for us at this stage of the game. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road there's another team uh, in Kingston and. Uh, uh, back in 2017, you became the chairman of the entire Canadian Junior Hockey League. Uh, what's that? What has that role been like for you, and, and how is it different than being the commissioner of just your one league now that you're kind of overseeing uh, 10 CJHL leagues? Well, I, you know, I like the role that you play at our league level, which typically is the uh, representing the uh, the ownership of each individual league. There's, you know, in our league, there's 12 members, and then there's one amongst those 12. Chairman. So I really feel it's the same thing. We have ten leagues, and I'm honored to be nominated uh, by my peers as, as the chairman of the, of the ten. And really, I, I think I, I know, there's more of a liaison with Brent Lance, who's our president, and certainly has a wealth of experience and knowledge. But sometimes it's, 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 it's always been hard to to balance And when there's certain situations that arise, you know, a lot of times. Scott Smith and Tom Rennie are, are still 
strong supporters of our program. Appreciated by all ten. Now I know, uh, well, at least I'm reading a story from that uh, that year in 2017. It said it was a two year term that you would be the chairman. Uh, is that up or where is that moving forward right now? Well, the concept was it was a two year term, and then uh, there was some discussion this past AGM, and, and uh, the plan is for me to stay on for another year and sort of help uh, finish some of the projects uh, up and, and phase and nutrition in. It's on our schedule and in the. December, we'll, we'll make the decision as to who's going to succeed me, and, and uh, there'll be a bit of a transition. So I think, uh, I think you know, I guess every year there's a lot of things on the go that carry over. I think this past year there's going to be a significant number of items that that require a little bit of continuity, and and uh, I was happy to continue on for another year. Are you able to talk about any of those uh, things that are kind of uh, still in the works that haven't come to uh, fruition yet? Well, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything really in the works. I've, the future is hockey related matters that uh, as, as the season progresses, you sort of run out of race track and things finalized. So, you know, our partnership agreement with Hockey Canada is an ongoing document. You know, it's there and, and uh, various tasks that Hockey Canada has, has, has started with us and uh, that I, I sit on and play a role on. So, I think it's a some of those things can be sort of handed off, um, and, they, and they, they're relatively new concepts, um, um, you know, to, to the hockey family structure. And I think we, you know, we want to be important contributors, and I think uh, being able to, to have some historical background and, and uh, you know, some, some sort of corporate knowledge of what's going on for the last little bit is helpful rather than sort of insert something new into an existing committee. So that was really, um, you know, the key part of it. And I think, I think, you know, no, now knowing that there is an actual Probably better prepared for that. The, the two-year term was something that was discussed conceptually. It was never kind of determined that that's what it was, but I, I believe that's what it should be. Um, but going forward, I'm in year three, so there you go. But no, I, I, nothing, nothing contentious and nothing confidential. I mean, it's just more of a, a case of getting kind of things uh, running smoothly if you can. Uh, I know at the major junior hockey level, there's more similarities between the three leagues than there are differences, but there are differences from league to league. I imagine it's the same with the 10 leagues across the, the CJHL. Uh, is it important to have, uh, synergy though? A lot of, you know, I don't know if each league has the same amount of, you know, 20 roles that are uh, allowed to play or, or what it is, but are there significant differences from league to league? Well, you touched on one that I think is something we, we discuss every time. It seems like we discuss it every time we get together. Um, uh, you know, the number of twenty-year-olds, and we, well, we've we've embarked on a, on a move from you know, to reduce the number down. You know, we we played with six for a long time in our league, and there's a number of leagues that play with six. Um, and I think the leagues that are at nine and originally are now down to eight. I think some of them are voluntarily moving to seven. There, there there is some feeling that you know, moving down down to have a a number that's the same across the board, and whether that number is six or not. Um, I, I think there's a, there's an appetite for that. I think that'll happen. I think you know, they make it, you know, a little more voluntary than, than sort of, uh, fast forwarding it to, to, to six for everybody overnight. Um, so I, I think that's one area that I think you'll see become more similar. I, I really think the differences, um, that we have are, are just sort of philosophical and regional. Um, you know, we've got leagues that really sort of feeder, feeder leagues to, um, to the Canadian Hockey League. Serve really as a direct pipeline and affiliate program, and 
and uh, that's really their primary their primary player uh, tool, and that's the, the primary function. And then we've got leagues that that really have a priority when it comes to sending players to the NCAA. So, right. you know, I think I think you know you can go across the country and see some leagues are sort of split, but for the most part, most leagues are one or the other. And I think you know our, you know, our league's a case where you know, 90% of the kids that play in our league aspire to play in the NCAA and you know, we still send some guys to major junior, but, but uh, we used to have a younger athlete in our league that was 15 and 16 years old. Um, we don't have access to those kids anymore. So, so we've had to reinvent ourselves a bit. I think we're a lot like um, BC and Alberta in that sense where you know, the, the primary focus is trying to move kids to collegiate levels. Um, and I think, you know, a number of the other provinces have, Really strong relationships with the, uh, the Western Hockey, the, the, like Saskatchewan, the Maritimes, and Quebec. And I think if you ask the guys in the Quebec League or in the uh, Manitoba League or on the Ontario League, I think they, they're, they're kind of in the middle. They, they do a little bit of both. And I think, you know, they're, they're, everyone's trying to find their way. And I think we're all the same that way. And, but there's there's some significant differences there. As a result, the player that we have on rosters is different, different ages and different goals and different really different places in, in, in their own careers as players. So um, it's uh, it's a dynamic that I don't know that we could ever change to one or the other. I think we have to respect the fact that there's differences in, in philosophies and there's differences in opinion. And, and uh, with that, you know, I think the good thing is to tell me to play at a relatively balanced level in terms of level of competition. Um, you know, there's a, always leagues that are stronger and leagues that are weaker, but for the most part, the level of play is relatively consistent. Kevin, for those players who don't end up going to the NCAA or the few that go to the Canadian Hockey League, um, is there like a, a scholarship package or anything like that available for for those types of players, or or is there any sort of compensation for what comes after their junior career? Uh, I would say nationally, no. Uh, we you know we, we offer bursaries for, bursaries for award winners, but there's no real program that here's some money to. For education at the national level. Right. I, I do know that in our, in our league, um, you know, we've really focused on we have two league uh, academic advisors. And one of the things that they do is really work closely with the team advisors to ensure that our graduating players have a destination. And I think, you know, we're, we're in the high 90 percentile when it comes to where our 20 year old players play at, at 21. And, uh, we have the odd case of player where, you know, they, they, they've determined that, you know, their hockey is going to end at 20, uh, but it's very, very rare. Um, for the most part, you know, the players in our league, when they play at 20, they're playing either in the CIS or the NCAA at the Division One or Division Three level, um, after they exit, uh, and graduate from junior hockey. So we've made that a priority as a league that we don't have a lot of kids that view this as their last place of playing. And, um, that might that might cost us a player or two, but I think it's important for for kids to be in an environment where there's there's always a, you know a next level and a next step. And I think that's one of the things that philosophically, certainly, reason. And I think you know most leagues have share that view, but uh, but there's nothing when it comes to specific you know financial incentives or or, or bursaries that are available across the board. Okay. Now, when it comes to uh, getting players on specific teams, uh, I know some leagues have a draft. Other, I think most of the leagues are. Based on recruitment, aren't they? So, um, how do you ensure that uh, everything's above board and nobody's kind of uh, going around corners or cutting corners or offering things that aren't allowed? What is allowed? Uh, you know, if you're trying to entice a player from 
a state side and you're competing with a team out of the BCHL or the AJHL to get that player's rights, what's allowed as an incentive and what's not? Where do you draw the line? Um, well, I think, you know, the rules are, are relatively clear in the CJHL. You know, you, you're not allowed to pay players and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a violation of both CJHL and NCAA regulations. But I think, you know, I, I really think that we, we've, uh, minimized cases where that's, where that's happened. Now I could be the most naive guy around, but I, I believe that would be true. Um, you know, I think for the most part, the programs that are enticing players, um, from outside our, our, you know, our, our particular backyards are, are doing so because those players have aspirations to move on to collegiate hockey in most cases. And because the, the eligibility uh, requirements are quite explicit, I don't think anybody wants to jeopardize that. So, so I don't think there's a lot of that issue. I, I think that, you know, some leagues have drafts, but they tend to be localized uh, drafts. In the case of our league, we have a phantom draft that essentially is just for our branch players, our regional kids. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those kids play in our U18 programs and then gradually we'll move up to our junior A or junior B programs. So, I, you know, there, there's no real draft of, of, you know, widespread free agency. I think it's, uh, it's unusual for us in, in Canada to see drafts. Um, where players are being drafted from parallel levels and higher levels. It really doesn't make sense to us. We're, we're conditioned to see a draft as a place where our younger players are introduced to a higher level. And so the leagues in Canada that have drafts um, follow that model. Um, so I think that's where there may be some, uh, in, in North America, certainly some differences in, in terms of what a draft is. But uh but as you know, player benefits go, I think, you know, the junior experience is something that we try to make consistent in our league. And I think that most leagues do the same. You know, you're, you're in most cases, you're, you're, you're living somewhat close to home, but a lot of kids have to move away. And there's building and then there's, you know, adjusting to these social circles and, and, and school and things like that. Uh, that whole junior experience is, is an important element of player development. And I think that's where, you know, we're, we're a lot alike. We want the players to have a good experience, and we want them to develop, and we want them to get better. And I think, uh, you know, whether we have to entice the odd player with, uh, you know, uh, uh, a better brand of hockey stick than the competition, you know, that that's that's part of I think the the nature of, of recruitment. But I think you know players are enticed by good programs and good leagues, and if you've got a good program and done a good job with player advancement, then I think you're going to be a destination for more players. All right, Kevin Abrams, uh, the commissioner of the CCHL, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Just a few more questions for you. This one's come in uh, via Twitter from Brian, who wants to know about the ranking system for the CGHL. He says uh, currently he feels it's purely based on winning percentage, but as you said earlier, Kevin, uh, from league to league, quality of the league might be different. Could you ever foresee uh, going to more of an NCAA, like the pairwise ranking and, and things like that, which is based more on the quality of competition that each team is facing? Well, I, you know, I, I, I think our ranking system certainly does one thing, and it, it, it is it creates discussion. Yep. So if, if that's the objective, then you know it's it's been well achieved. Um, to be honest, I think you know whenever you have a ranking system, uh, it's really open to people that are participating in the, in the rankings to, to determine how they do it. It would appear to be that the uh, you know, and I don't know that this to, this to be true, but it would appear that winning percentage is uh, an important element to uh, to how the, the current rankings are, are done. And if that's the case, then that's you know I think that's justified. They've determined it. Certainly, there's a 
meaning that the top five te- uh, ranked teams uh, nationally are going to be the five teams at the national championship. So you know that. I, I think it's a source of discussion and, and sometimes complaint, then I guess, you know, that's okay. Um, you know, I, I know the teams are proud when they're on the list and they're high on the list. Mm-hmm. And I know when they're not on the list, they would say that the list has less merit and that they'll show them and, and that it's almost a motivation. But I, I can tell you as a, as a league this, uh, I, I find it interesting. I'm, I'm appreciative of the guys that do the work to put it in, but I, I certainly don't consider uh, the success or failure of, of, of a league or team um, is based on the ranking system. I think those 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 decisions are reached, uh, you know, in, in April and May when teams are on the ice. But uh, it does get people it does get people talking. There's no question about that. Could you ever foresee the league, uh, the CJHL, moving uh, away from the current uh, the, the National Junior uh, A Championship, uh, used to be the RBC Cup, uh, going away from that style to a 16-team national tournament, much like the NCAA, where you could have three or four teams from the BCHL and two or three from the AJ and two or three from your league, but the the weaker leagues might only have one representative. Uh, but so you'd have the the true 16 best teams uh, in the country, as opposed to what the current system, some would argue, is a bit flawed. You know what? That 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 is an interesting concept, and um, I, I personally think that has. Colleagues would share that view. Um, I, I, I think that um, we all have to really look at why the, the system was created to be the way it is. And I think what it was done originally to do is, is to shorten, um, uh, like to, to lengthen the playing seasons and allow longer periods of play in, in league level playoffs. And then, you know, in the East, certainly, and I think for a while in the West with the Western Championship, the idea was, you know, have a tournament that, that didn't require a whole bunch of extra series that eats away at dates, you know, and, and eats away at the calendar. Um, having said that, I, you know, I think, I think there's some real merit to review, um, like really how, how important the, uh, the regional playoffs are. I know that when there's a series, there's, there tends to be a terrific following, but there's a real lack of understanding as to what, the, you know, what the point of, of that series is. I know, you know, if Alberta's playing BC, for example, both teams have already won the league championship. And I, and I don't know that, you know, another series feels like you've won or lost another championship. I think that's just a qualifying process to get to the, the nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, so maybe, you know, maybe part of the discussion would be, is there, is, you know, do the 10 league champions, um, play in a, in a, almost like a Telus type tournament where there's larger numbers of teams, but maybe, you know, you, you, you lose more quickly. Maybe it's a, an NCAA knockout kind of event where, you know, you, you lose on Friday night and you go home. Yep. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. And, and maybe, you know what? If you had 10 teams and you had six yep. wild cards based on something else, that's how you get to that. I, I don't think it'd be a bad discussion. I would say 16 teams and just have knockouts and, you know, you have a regional knockout, knockout, you lose, you're gone. Because yep. I think what, what matters most is, is, when you play in your league championship, there's no better hockey than a league final. And I think, you know, you can see that in those in BC or Alberta or Maritimes or Quebec or my league. You know, that, that series for the league championship where kids have played 60 games and battled and, and competed, you know, when you win that championship, you're a champion. And, and, uh, sometimes when you go to regionals and nationals, um, you, you've already won what, what is really the most important thing. And it's and, and certainly not to say that 
winning a national championship isn't an unbelievable achievement. It really is. Mm-hmm. But may, maybe the path to get there could be a little different. Oh, I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, that's uh, exactly the way I view it. And getting back to the 16-team the tournament, I, that would be my proposal, would be to have the 10 sh- league champions and the next six best teams. And that kind of goes to what the Twitter question was about, about having a better ranking system based on quality of competition. So you would actually have the you'd know who the next six best teams are uh, based on the the records they've had against the higher competition. Uh, I, I really like that yep. idea. I've kind of been putting that out for the last number of years. So I'm glad that uh, that you you would at least consider it uh, moving forward. Um, last uh, subject I wanted to, to approach with you was uh, the uh, you're aware of the, the lawsuit facing the Canadian Hockey League, the Major Junior Hockey League, uh, with some former players seeking minimum wage. Uh, how would or how could that affect amateur sport across Canada, uh, including the CJHL? Do you have any concerns about it? No, not not really. I mean, I'm certainly oh, observing that with interest. Um, you know, I think I think the the athlete that plays in the CJHL is is at a different level than the athlete that plays in the Canadian League. And, and um, you know, I, I don't know whether the hinging of that argument is based on the fact that they get a nominal you know stipend for for expenses or whether, you know, I, I, I don't know what, what it is or whether it's because players are, have already signed nationally contracts. I don't know what part of it makes it, um, makes it different. Um, you know, I, I think when you, when you play amateur hockey, you know, there's never, there's never an assumption that you should be getting paid to do so. And, you know, I think particularly some leagues where there's a, a small fee to play on the team, um, you know, that, that sort of is the opposite. Um, you know, I, I think I, you know, I, I understand the argument. I do. I, I just, don't, I, you know, I, I don't know how much merit there is at our level for it to be a concern. But uh, you still, you still pay attention, and, and, and you know, I, I think, uh, I think those are challenging situations for the Canadian Hockey League. And I, you know, I know there's a lot of great operators in that league. And, and uh, for all the right reasons, so it's 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 difficult for everybody for sure. Well, the reason I ask the question is because part of the lawsuit is is based on the, the time that the players spend on you know not just uh, playing hockey, but time on the bus and uh, going to schools or hospital visits or things like that. And I know players in in your across the CJHL they also go to schools and do read in week and, and things like that and community service. And if the players in the CHL would start being paid minimum wage and you get paid for that, then wouldn't that trickle down to your league because the players who go to the schools, wouldn't that be the same thing? Yeah, I, I've never, I, you know, I coached for a long time. I never viewed those things for the for the players as a job. I, you know, I, I always thought it was part of being a, a good citizen and a good member of a community, and, and uh, I think those are important traits for young people to learn. Um, you know, I... I, I don't. I don't liken that to to a job. I, I think, you know, I think those are whether they're mandatory because it's part of a team building process or, or not. I don't know. I guess that could be an argument, but you know, I, I I don't view those things as things that you know. I'm only going to this school to to read to these kids because I'm going to get paid fourteen dollars an hour. I I like to think that our our players, you know, are, are are doing it for for the right reasons because maybe somebody did that for them when they were in that position and, and they remembered it. So I think I think. You know, I think as a society, we need to maybe take a deep breath of it and, and say some people just do things because they're a good things. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that everything should be payable. I don't think everything should be um, mandated as, as part of an employment contract. I think sometimes you do things because it's good for the game and it's good for your community. And, and uh, you know, 
know, things like that are important things for, for, for young people to, to experience. Excellent. Kevin, uh, before I let you go, what's on the agenda for the off season uh, for you, uh, whether it's business wise or uh, what do you like to do away from the game? Well, you know, I, um, I, I, uh, I normally enjoy, uh, the summertime. I live uh, in the upper Ottawa Valley and, uh, had some extreme flooding where I live. So oh. it won't be a typical summer for us, but, uh, but we'll, we'll get back to enjoying some time in July and, and, uh, spend some time with friends and family and, you know the the off season is extremely short in our game. I think for the people that that uh, are involved, they know that you get a chance to sort of take a bit of a uh, a break um, right about now. And uh, by the time the end of July rolls around, everyone's looking at their calendars and they start to fill up with meetings and camps and all sorts of things. So uh, the next month we'll just do some relaxing and spend some time with my family and friends. And uh, but uh, as you know already, uh, my my cell phone's always on, so I, I'm always available. <laughs> Excellent. Kevin, I really appreciate your time. I hope we can chat again. You bet. Thanks so much. There is Kevin Abrams, the uh, commissioner of the CCHL and chairman of the Canadian Junior Hockey League, overseeing all 10 of the uh, Tier 1 Junior A leagues in Canada. Lots of ground that we covered there. Uh, Really interested to hear your uh, feedback, your thoughts on everything that you heard there with uh, and from Kevin. You can reach me uh, on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, Ron Robinson of the WHL coming up. Gilles Courteau of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. I've reached out to the OHL to try to get David Branch on once again. Uh, Tom Garrity from the USHL. And uh, we'll look to the NAHL as well. Maybe there's another league that you'd like me to zero in on. You can let me know. Send me a note at, on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. Uh, only one more segment on the show this week. It's uh, already been a long, lengthy show here for the offseason. But uh, big news out of the NCAA the WCHA basically falling apart over the next couple of years. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO will tell us all about it next here on the Pipeline Show. Pashnik with a fake shot, and he goes the other way, spinning a couple more spins, two or three of them. Princeton Pashnik. Pashnik with a shot. He scores! Four down! Princeton Pashnik! Are you serious? Hey, it's Princeton Pashnik from the Arizona State Sun Devils, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. NCAA Hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Nick Bukestad. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! David Backus. And Zach Parisi were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! 